Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Six seconds to go. Comes in the Tucker. Ewing sets a screen. The shot is off. Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket comes. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of Strick and Roll. I'm your host, Shwini Boom. This is episode 37. I am joined by first time guest of the pod. That is at the local guy on Twitter. Uh, his name is Drew. Drew, how are you doing? Excellent, man. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. Enjoying uh, my the early, I guess, the beginning of a Memorial Day weekend, we are recording mm-hmm. on a Saturday afternoon over here. I think Saturday morning for you. Yeah, um, yeah. So uh, Drew uh, is here to talk about his Sacramento Kings. But before we get into that, I do have to make a few announcements. The first being that the Strickland has an Instagram. Check that out. That is at strict.land on Instagram. We are posting all kinds of new content on there. The Strickland also has a YouTube channel where you may be watching this podcast. If you are, please hit like and then subscribe to the channel. That would be a huge help to us. The Strickland also has merchandise on the on the show, on on the website. There you go. Uh, on the website, check it out. There's t-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, water bottles, even um, anything you want. Anything your heart desires, we have on there. The Strickland also has a Patreon, which you can subscribe to. There are a number of different tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland, podcast that I host every Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland Mailbag, hosted by Andrew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, a.k.a. The Doug Bag, alongside Dallas Amico. That comes out every other week. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops. There are further tiers. There is a $9 tier that gets you access to this podcast right here that I host, Strick and Roll, my solo pod, where I rant and rave about the Knicks even more. You also get access to this, uh, wonderful premium articles by Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There is a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits, like listening on pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. And what this podcast would also not be possible without is Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines and the latest matchup reports for this year's NBA playoffs. Bet Online is your sports intel headquarters this season as we have you covered for all your insider sports wagering needs from basketball, MLB, NHL, hockey, golf to UFC and boxing, the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your home. Get into the action today, so head to the website or use your mobile device to join and be sure to use our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V to receive your 50% bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. All right, enough of the capitalist, corporatist bullshit. Let's talk a little bit more about basketball. Uh, we will talk about the Knicks, I'm sure, at some point. But mm-hmm. we don't have you on here, or I don't have you on here, I should say, uh, to discuss the Knicks. No, we have you on here to discuss the Sacramento Kings, who had, uh, by all accounts and measures, a very successful season. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's rewind. So they hired Mike Brown last year, um, yep. last summer. 
I don't know if he was the top of anybody's anybody's list. I actually thought it was a really good hiring when they did. I've long been mm-hmm. like a believer that Mike Brown probably was a really good coach that got fucked in very different ways at various yeah. previous stops. Um, what were your thoughts when that when they when that you know move was announced? And um, obviously, how 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 has your opinion changed or strengthened or whatever it was over the course of the season? Yeah, before we get into that, I hope we don't alienate a lot of your listener base because we're talking about the Sacramento Kings. Um, there no, were a lot of there were there were there yeah oh we are 100 percent but there were a lot of uh, during the season when the Kings were playing well a lot of people a lot of people on Twitter were saying I've never seen a Kings fan before this season which is hilarious when you actually live here because the city absolutely adores the team um, so it was a long time coming it was a very very fun season um, Mike Brown you know. Monty McNair, the general manager, uh, when he when he released the initial list of candidates, uh, there were some exciting names on there. I mean, Will Hardy was on there, who's now coaching the Jazz. Uh, you know, there was uh, Charles Lee, who is one of the lead assistants in Milwaukee. Darvin Ham, who eventually took the Lakers' job. There were a lot of exciting names on there. But if you listened to Monty McNair's end of season presser last year, y- you kind of look at the candidates and you go, oh. The guy he's looking for pretty much sounds like Mike Brown. You know, he talked about a guy that had a sustained uh, sustained track record of winning, a guy who's you know been there, done that. Uh, he's got a very unique. Uh, he has a very unique distinction of coaching both LeBron James and Kobe Bryant. Um, had success with with both of them, um, and yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you. Mike Brown kind of got screwed over and kind of had this perception of a retread coach that. Uh, had a very, very limited upside. Uh, and everybody had this this preconceived notion that he was just a defensive coach, that he that he only knew defense, right? That was that was kind he's of He's also the... not old, which is like, no, like he's old not... for a coach. He's fifty three. Yeah. I mean that's not old for yeah. a coach. It was weird and and you know the offense thing like so if you go back and like watch his Cleveland teams, I get why yes. look, basketball is just fucking different. Like it just mm-hmm. is like what was offense, what was really good offense in the late two thousands doesn't fly for what's really good offense now. Yep. Um yes. and spacing is different and all kinds of things are different. So um all I know is this. Like I thought he unfairly got labeled as well, he's just a good coach because, you know, yeah, of course he won a lot of games, he had LeBron James. And yes, mm-hmm. that's fair that like, yeah, you're gonna win a lot of games when you have LeBron James, at least that version of LeBron James, um, yes. who was like a singular force, but like they were the number one defense in basketball for multiple years. They yeah. were a sixty-win team. They finished the num- as the number one seed two years in a row. Like mm-hmm. you can't really, if the argument and and you know this is a weird one, but like there's always the, the argument right for like well LeBron had to leave Cleveland because they just didn't have the talent around him. It, just, it wasn't going to work. Well, if that's the case. Let's just take that at face value. I don't know why that never applied to Mike Brown. Because I'm like, well, if, yeah. if that's the case for LeBron, then why is Mike Brown expected to like win championships and be a dynasty mm-hmm. with the team? I don't know. I, I've and then I think the Lakers situation. Look, he goes there. I think they still won like 50 plus games that year. Um, and it was a weird situation he got put in. He was replacing Phil fucking Jackson. That team yeah. was at the end of a run. They were clearly on the downslope. They'd gotten mm-hmm. swept the year before by the Mavericks in the playoffs. By the Mavs. Yep. Yeah, and he had to do this weird thing where they were like. Like, oh, a new era, Andrew Bynum. Like, and it was just like, no, that's probably not going to be it. 
Um, but like he, they still won, you know, they won 50 games. They, I think they end up mm-hmm. losing in the postseason, maybe in six games or whatever it was. Um, but like it was not a bad season. And then they do the, I think the year after that is when they did the, that summer, they did the Dwight Howard and the Steve Nash trade. Steve Nash thing. Yeah. Uh, and it was like, yeah. so he gets thrown into the situation. It's kind of a Frankenstein team. And it was like obvious mm-hmm. that they, it felt like the entire year leading up or the summer leading into that, you know, training camp and the start of the regular season, that it was just like a matter of time before he got fired. It felt like it was all being framed in a yep. way for him to get fired. And he gets fired after mm-hmm. an 0-4 start, um, yeah. and they replace him NBA. But, like, then he does this. He shouldn't have ever done the Cleveland thing again. That's what really fucked him. It yeah. was a bad situation. He had to try to make mm-hmm. this Kyrie Irving, Deion Waiters thing work. And it was like, <laughs> that was never going to work. Because, one, like now we like, now in hindsight, if we, like, zoom out, we're like, well, of course that didn't fucking work. Like Kyrie Irving yeah. and Deion Waiters, that was never going to work. Um, no. But like at the time, it was like, well, they've got this young talent. He's not like he's he's too strict. He's too methodical. And you know, I think really it was a really good experience for him in, in a way. Like that weird labeling of him as a retread and this tired coach who doesn't that. I think it kind of helped him in the sense of he was just not a candidate, a realistic candidate for a head coaching position for a while. So yeah. he kind of just like sits on the Warriors bench for a few years. He was a candidate for the Knicks when they hired Tibbs. Um, and mm-hmm. I remember like it, it was so stu- every time he was named as a, a candidate, you always had these people being like, oh, my God, Mike Brown, like this guy. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I just never got that. Um, I would have been fine with them hiring him. But I think it really benefited him sitting on that bench, seeing how Steve Kerr did things. And, you know, he, right. worked, he worked there for a while. So he kind of just saw like, you know, I think you saw, I mean, you can talk to this. I've been talking here for a minute, but like you can just see from how the Kings played this year that like, yeah, like you, you can, he's managed to blend, I think like, and obviously the Kings are not a great defensive team. I think that has a lot more to do with personnel than him tactically as a coach. Yeah, like, I agree. Like you can tell now that he's blended. Okay. I have this strong defensive background. My offense was good in Cleveland, mostly because I had LeBron James and it was mm-hmm. good in LA because I had Kobe Bryant. Like, but I've, learned and i've taken these principles from golden state and now i am like a more complete coach and i thought that really bore mm-hmm. out over the course of this year yeah um i'm in agreement with you the second cleveland stint was just i i and i get it there's that saying that there's only 30 of these jobs in the world when you get offered one of them it, it's it's it, it, it would be it'd be it would behoove you to take it because there are not that many opportunities out there like that but yeah, that 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 really screwed him. Um, and and I think in the end, I mean, you know, hindsight twenty being twenty twenty, it really really helped him because I know he took a year off. I know he spent a lot of time with his sons. He was in a consultant position with Popovich down in you know he was he was he was one of Pop's consultants for a year or two before before ending up on Steve Kerr's bench. He's originally and, a Spurs guy, right? He like was and yes, exactly. Yeah, he came. He yeah, he came. He came from the Spurs coaching tree. I, I believe he was one of the one of the lead assistants on that 2003 championship team. And then from there, that's, you know, that's where he ended up getting uh, the, the Cleveland job, but he, but he, he was, he took some time off and time away. And I think he really kind of, you know, in, in a way found himself. I, I think I've, I read multiple articles about how the guy just hopped on his motorcycle and just started riding, you know, just to random places <laughs> to just clear his head, took enough time off, was refreshed, re-energized. Uh, Pop told him, Hey, Steve's going to offer you the assistant, one of the assistant coaching jobs in golden state. You're going to take it ends up taking it. And and I think you're right. The seven years he spent on that bench, you know, winning three titles and, 
and being around those personalities and 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 watching that Warriors team work every single day, I I, re- I really did. You know, that's what that's what a lot of us were hoping for. Where uh, we were hoping that a lot of that Warriors juice would kind of rub up on him, and he would bring that with him to Sacramento. And you know, in the end, it resulted in the uh, the highest offensive rating of all time uh, from any NBA team. Uh, so, yeah, I, I I I was I mean thoroughly impressed. It was beyond the basketball stuff too. The culture in Sacramento was just so bad, and, and I know. To a level, I you know, Knicks fans can speak about that with their team too. Like it's 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 been a long time with just very mediocre culture and nothing really being established. And guys, kind of just it's a revolving door with the head coach. It's a revolving door with the front office. I think Mike Brown came in and from the top down, you know, from 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 the owner on down, everybody bought in, and the result was a forty-eight win season and a Pacific Division title. Yeah. Um... I want to thank the Kings for winning that Pacific Division title. I <laughs> was very invested in their success this season. Okay. I invested <laughs> okay. in their success yeah. many times over, thankfully. Um, but gotcha. but they were like – so I, I want to go – you talked about something interesting there about how there was kind of an alignment now, right, with Mike mm-hmm. Brown coming in. Yes. And I actually, you know, I, I want to go back to this because I'm sure this was a fun day for you. Uh, I want to go back to what happened the year before right around the trade deadline. Uh-huh. Because what I have felt, and you just talked about this, there was like a mediocre culture. To me, it's like when you're talking about mediocre culture, it's always like you don't, there's no concept of like what this roster, the 15 guys that we have, what Mm -hmm. are we trying to achieve with that? And I don't mean like, are we trying to win games? Are we tanking? No, but it's like, okay, basketball teams only work if there's, some form of a hierarchy and like what yes. players you're trying to get the most out of and all that type of shit. Okay. So what was very odd to me and what has been odd for a few years now in Sacramento was like, okay, they had this like kind of fun year with Dave Yeager. Right. And yeah. they make that trade at the deadline, which I think it was like Harrison Barnes for, it was, it was Justin Jackson and Zach Randolph yeah. for, and I think, for Harrison Barnes. Yeah. yeah. And I think they also got Shumpert at that deadline too. It was a something, whatever. Oh, they, right. so they shipped off, they shipped off Shumpert okay, uh, right, that's what it was. to Houston and they, I, I, I don't even remember who they were, yeah. <laughs> but, but it was, that it was, was a, a controversial weird, one. Yeah. It was yeah. a weird move. Cause I remember those lineups with like, it was like, what it was Shumpert, Fox and, and healed. Those mm-hmm. lineups were killer that year, but they were like yep. a, kind of a fun team. And then like, mm-hmm. You know, at the end, they they go down after that trade deadline, and from and then they fire. I think Jaeger gets fired that summer, right? Yes. Um, yes. And like that was probably fine because Jaeger was crazy. But from that point on, they've just kind of it's like, okay, you paid De'Aaron Fox after that, but like, mm-hmm. what have you? Like, is anything that you're doing actually putting him in position to be the best version of himself? And yep. you know, I'll be honest, like, yeah, I think there's. It's it's very hard, especially when you're not locked into a team every fucking day. Like after a year or two, I'm like, okay, well maybe Fox just isn't the guy I thought he was going to be. You know, maybe that's just right. what it is. And they mm-hmm. get Halliburton, and you're watching them, and you're like, okay, they're like, like Halliburton's good, and like you know, Fox is really good, but they don't really like, like they're they're not going anywhere. So how good are these guys anyway? And it just there was not a direction. And I I actually thought. You know, there was all that smoke about leading up to them actually trading Halliburton. It was like, well, they're shopping Fox, they're shopping Fox, they're shopping Fox. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well, that makes sense. Like, okay, you're shifting to build around Halliburton. I get it. But, like, when that trade happened, I was instantly like, I think this is a good trade. 
Like I think this is a good mm. trade for Sacramento because uh, you're one me, of the you're one of the rare few who immediately thought that. Yeah, I thought so because I like I don't love Sabonis. Like I think I think he's a really good player. There's some real flaws with him, obviously, but like mm-hmm. his skill set, I'm like, no, this is perfect. Like this is exactly what you want around De'Aaron Fox. And to me, it simplified everything they need to do because it was like, okay, you've got your ball handling big guy dude, and then you've got your dynamic scoring guard who can facilitate. Mm-hmm. Just get fucking shooters around them now. That's it. That's all yep. you have to do. Just fucking line up shooters, and that's all you can do. And what did they do? That is exactly what they did this offseason. They were yeah, like, that is exactly what Monty McNair did. Yeah, they were like, okay, we'll get Malik Monk. We'll go, like, you know, we're going to draft. Uh, uh, what's his name? I can't even think of his name right now. Ke- Keegan Murray. Yeah, Keegan Murray, who I love. Like I, I thought that was yep. a great pick. I was a fan of him in mm-hmm. college, and I was like, yeah, like I get. I was like, people were like, well, why won't they take Ivy? I'm like, you just did this. You literally yeah. just did this with Halliburton. Like, mm-hmm. don't do mm-hmm. it again. Just go get. Just take Keegan Murray. He was a he was a plug and play starting caliber player. Go for that, yeah. right? And then they they kept Barnes. And it's just, and then they go do the Herder trade, which I think was yep. a steal at the price they got him. Yes. At. Oh my goodness! It, yeah, yeah. And, and so like to me, I was just like, okay. And so to, like, I think Mike Brown was the perfect hire at a time. Like, I think when you're talking about alignment, it's I don't know if it was Mike Brown who I, I think he might have been like the final piece in some ways, but I mm-hmm. think that alignment was already happening. And credit to Monty McNair because basically for a year and a half he takes over. They don't like do anything. They're just kind of like yeah, hanging yeah. out. The roster's what it is. And I'm yep. like, okay, like, are we, we what's, like, are we going to do anything? You're just going to bleed out talent? Like, you're going to let Bogdanovich walk? Like, what's happening mm-hmm. here? They make that trade. And from that point on, I was like, okay, I think, I, I get it. Like, and maybe yeah. Sabonis might not be, I don't know if Sabonis is going to be on the team when they're a true contender or whatever you want to put it. Mm-hmm. But getting mm-hmm. him was a necessary step. And it came at the expense of being up Halliburton. And we can sit here and argue forever. Like, well, do they get enough value? To, I, I think you can get lost sometimes in trying to get the right value versus just being like, you know what, let's just fucking move on. And let's, yeah. and it's not like, this is not to shit on Halliburton. I, I mean, I'll shit on him. I like shitting on him. Um, but like, this is not <laughs> to shit on him, but it's like, and like, I think buddy healed is a good player in the right scenario, but those scenarios for those three guys, right? Fox healed, Halliburton, it was never going to come together on this team for a variety mm-hmm. of reasons, cap-related, on-court fit-related, a variety yep. of things. And now, I think you go get Sabonis, and, and like right now, what you all you have to do is like, okay, find a way to upgrade, find a better version of Harrison Barnes, find a, like, a more defensive player that can plug and play. It's a very, very simple equation for them, I think, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm excited to see what where they go from here. Yeah, I thank you for mentioning the the context surrounding those three players that you just mentioned: uh, Fox, Halliburton, Sabonis, Heal or Heal. You said Fox, Halliburton, and Heal, um, yeah. and then also Marvin Bagley. Marvin Bagley yeah, was oh, not God. going to be he was not going to be a thing in Sacramento. I I I I, I feel he for might the just kid. Not I be feel, a thing, man. <laughs> yeah, he he might just not be a thing. Period. I. And and look, 2018 was rough for Kings fans too, you know. And the only saving grace was that the next season was fun. You know, they, they Marvin fit the the fabric, the identity of the of the of that very fun Dave Yeager team that you were talking about the next season. But I mean, his time was up. He just didn't really fit on the team. Uh, Buddy Heald, by all accounts, was you know a, a malcontent and was dragging down the the vibes and the mood in the locker room. 
And that stuff matters, you know? And, and yeah, Buddy's playing just fine now in, in Indiana. You know, they, they have their gripes about him too, which is not that shocking because there was plenty of that here in Sacramento. But, you know, he, he, he he's one of, well, in Sacramento history, Sacramento era history, he's the best shooter, which is, you know, three-point shooter in, in Sacramento era history, which is, that's a premium skill in the NBA. You're always going to, you're always going to need shooters. He's always going to stick around because of that. But I mean, the guy wasn't even doing that in Sacramento when his time was coming to an end. So yeah, everybody just kind of needed a fresh start, man. And, and, and that trade, as rough as the actual day of the trade was, I think the next morning we all woke up, the sun came up, everything was, you know, we were still living, we were still breathing. Exactly. The sun's always (laughs) up here. It's up here when we don't even want it to be. Uh, and, and, and I think we were like, okay, I, I, I think, I think there's a plan there. I think there is a vision there. And this offseason, Monty McNair went out, like you said, got, getting Kevin Herter for a, a, a pretty heavily protected lottery pick um, and, you know, just sending off salary the other day, essentially, because, or the other way, essentially, because uh, Travis Schlenk has the Hawks in salary cap hell. Um, you know, so Monty, good on him for taking advantage of that. Signing Malik Monk to a, like a, like a smaller mid-level um, and then drafting Keegan Murray. I mean, you know, I think that was the thing that a lot of us were curious about here in Sacramento was, okay, cool. Fox and Sabonis in a vacuum, two good players. They do fit together in theory, right? We didn't get to see much of it the year that the trade was actually made because they both ended up getting hurt towards the end of the season. But if you put the right pieces around these guys, yeah, maybe there's something there. Defensively, there were always question marks. Uh, I still have question marks about that to a degree. But offensively, I mean, you saw it pretty early on. Uh, there, there was potential there. And then by the time December came around, uh, I actually think that one of the seminal moments of the season was when the Kings actually went to New York and got their asses kicked by the Knicks in Madison Square Garden. It was kind of after that. Something happened with that team. So they, they, they just started putting it together, and then that's when the offense really just started going nuts. And well, they beat Boston the night before, I think, when they played New York. That, that game. Uh, no, no, the, the Kings lost to Toronto? Boston both times. Was it Toronto? Season. It was Toronto. Yeah, it, 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 yeah I, I, it, it was either Toronto earlier in the week, or it was maybe Toronto was after the after the New York game. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, yeah, they that road trip. You know, there were a couple of very, very good games, but then there's that Knicks game where many of us agreed up to that point in the season that was the worst game of the season. Like <laughs> the Kings just didn't, didn't even show up, and then they came back from that road trip just a completely different team. And, and it, it was, you know, from that point moving forward, you started, you started thinking to yourself, okay, the sample size is no longer small. This 118, 119 offensive rating, it, it might carry some weight to it. And it kind of just hung around that level the entire season. And it's, the Kings ended up winning 48 games. And that's all credit to Monty McNair um, taking a huge swing, knowing that he was going to get absolutely murdered for it in the media. Uh, still decided to take that swing. I mean, uh, I, I know there were as much as I love Knicks fans, there were a few debates this year on the timeline about well, who should get executive of the year. You know, like Leon Rose has done a great job as well. But I think context matters in this instance, too. It's like, dude, Monty McNair just took over a franchise that I don't even know how many people actually wanted that job. And when he took it over, the situation he took over roster wise and cap wise was not great. Uh, that's what led to the whole Bogdanovich thing and, and the Kings letting him walk. Right. Um, and that was one of the first decisions he made. He he was immediately not that popular of a guy in Sacramento because of that. Um, and then well, that was a tax again, decision, right? Because it would have put it was a, it was it was a tax yeah. decision because if it because if they because just his hold just his cap hold as a restricted free agent was putting the Kings like they were almost going to be a tax team. And I'm like, dude, I would not want my team to be a tax team 
to get like 35 wins. So, uh, yeah, Monty McNair did what needed to be done there. And then when you, when you circle back around, and again, hindsight being 2020, I mean, you circle back around. That decision with Bogdanovich put the Hawks in the situation where they had to kind of get rid of Kevin Herter. And then they sent off Kevin Herter, who they just extended the previous summer for four years and $65 million. He's on a great contract now in Sacramento. So all these decisions, all these decisions that Monty McNair made early on that didn't look that great, all the stuff that he didn't do ends up coming around and actually helping this team a lot. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm sure we'll talk about the offseason, uh, but it's, I don't think anybody in Sacramento um, can really doubt this man anymore because he has made, he's really pulled all the right strings since that Halliburton for Sabonis trade. Yeah. Um, I, I, the, all I would say about, I mean, I don't, the executive of the year thing is just the award itself. Like they, the way it's voted on, it's never actually just about that season, um, which makes it like a very strange award because, you know, technically the Sabonis trade happened last year. Right. And it's like, mm. you know, he's getting credit for that. Again, the voting for this, the criteria is just so not, it's never, it's never made sense. Like you usually, the, a lot of the times the moves you make are from like two years before and then they pay off. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, executive of the year. Um, so it's whatever. I, I, I yep. think it like if you're just basing it off of last season's transactions, it should be Leon Rose. But like, even mm-hmm. in that scenario, like, yeah, I mean, like you're giving him credit for not making the Donovan Mitchell trade, but like, should you get credit for that? I don't, again, I don't know. It's a very <laughs> fucking weird award. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I find, you know, I, I thought, I'll just say this, like, I think Halburn is obviously a very, very good offensive player. Um, I am a little bit skeptical of, I know he had like one big fourth quarter against Miami this year. I don't mm-hmm. love him at the end of games. I think he's, you can see he wants to, he's running that pick and roll to, to pick and pop. He, he's trying to feed Miles on the pop. He's not trying mm-hmm. to be the one to score the ball. And that's okay. Like, you, you obviously need to do that, but I always, my, my belief is like, it's easier to take a guy who's wired to score and get him to make better decisions versus taking a guy. And I don't even think he was over 20 usage this season. Um, like getting a guy who is capable of scoring, but isn't really comfortable calling his own number consistently. It's very hard to go. I think it's harder to do it the other way. Um, and ultimately, I think, you know, when you come into the playoffs, if Halliburton's going to be your primary guy, the way he plays, like he's got to be your primary guy, I think. Um, is he a guy that you feel comfortable with in that role? He's a very, he's young. He's a, what is he, 23 or 20, whatever. 23. Yeah. yeah. So it's like he's got plenty of time, obviously, to figure this shit out. But I, I think the, the usage he would have to jump to is, it's, it would take a outlier type of leap. Um, in that sense. And then the other part of it is like, if you, if you're comfortable with him being like your second or even third option, that's fine too. But then he's got to be a way better defender than he's been. And I think that's actually the most disappointing thing that I've seen from him since he entered the league, because the scouting report on him coming out of college was like, you know, weird shot, very efficient player. Can he produce enough off the dribble as a scorer? All those things, you know, up in the air, whatever. I mean, the shooting numbers are great, but like, the defense is, but he was supposed to be a very good defender, and that yeah. has not manifested in the NBA at all to the point where he's like kind of a liability. I know that some of it is like, you know, like we just talked about with Fox, like some of it is, you know, he's the Pacers are in the process of putting the right pieces around him. So, like, mm-hmm. ideally, like, while Buddy Heald is a fun offensive fit next to Halliburton, 
Probably not the greatest defensive. No. Player. Probably does no. not help the cause. Um, not at all. And like, I like Andrew Nemhard. I don't think running a three guard lineup with Halliburton, Heald, and Nemhard is particularly useful to anybody defensively. Um, so, mm. like, they've got stuff to figure out too. But I, I am worried a little bit about his defense. And I look, I think the hardest thing to do, the, literally the hardest thing to do, and not just in fucking NBA, but like stocks, real estate, anything, is selling high. It is the hardest mm. thing to do because psychologically you are like, no, this thing is going to be fucking, you know, it's going forever. It's going to the moon. Like, and, and Halburn, you know, he's having this great second season. They pulled the trigger in this trade and it's like, well, why the hell was all the reporting that he's untouchable and they wouldn't trade him for anything? And, and I don't really understand why people thought that was reporting because there had already been reports that they had talked about trading him for Ben Simmons. And like, mm. that was out there. So I don't know. But I think like, what Monty McNair did is, look, that's, if that backfires, you're not just done in Sacramento. You're never getting a lead. Yeah, you're never getting the job. You're, yeah. you're never getting that job again. And mm-hmm. for him to make that call and for it to work out the way it has, really big. Um, but, like, you know, this is the other part of it, too, is, like, you know, they didn't just trade Halliburton for, like, nebulous value. They got the Sabonis back. And at the time yes. they got the Sabonis, he was a two-time All-Star. And mm-hmm. I know people will be like, well, it's the Eastern Conference. Okay, fine. But like, it's a two time All Star. It's a guy that was like mm-hmm. 20, 10, and five, or whatever the hell it was, even before he got to Sacramento. It's like a really good player. I don't know why that part was just dismissed. And I think it's really yeah. weird. And he was awesome this year. I think, what did he end up second team All NBA this year? Uh, third team. Um, Thirteen, yeah. So he was he wasn't gonna beat up. He was not gonna beat out Jokic and Embiid. <laughs> so we all we all here in Sacramento we're like he's playing great, but he's probably if he does get an All NBA, he's not. It's gonna be the third. Team. Him, him, and our buddy Julius, uh, thirteen buddies, who, yeah. who definitely definitely love playing against each other. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallin' drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallin' wherever you get your podcasts.